Oh, our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this opportunity to just think about your word more closely. We again, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us uh, so that uh, he may be our teacher, showing us the truths of your word. And please, by the same Spirit, give us that grace to put what we hear into practice. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Growing up um, in the parental home, there was a valuable piece of furniture. It was a Queen Anne side table. It didn't look very impressive, but apparently it was the most valuable thing in the house, worth uh, thousands of pounds. Anyway, when my parents died and uh, we divided up the, the contents of the house between my siblings, I got the table. Lucky old me. And so for insurance purposes, I thought, look, you know, better get it uh, 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 looked at and uh, uh, valued. And when the um, antiques guy looked at it, he uh, broke the news to me that it was essentially worthless. <laughs> it wasn't a Queen Anne table after all. Dark wood was out of fashion. I'd be lucky if I got a fiver for it on eBay. What I thought was precious was in fact worthless. Well, James is concerned that his readers don't do that with their Christian faith. That is one of the reasons why he's writing this letter. James wants us to be mature and complete. He doesn't want us to be lacking. James is aware that some professing Christians could be deceiving themselves. They may think that the the, the genuine article, when they are in fact, counterfeit. Their religion is worthless. Have a look with me as he kind of makes these points. Uh, turn back a page, um, James chapter 1, there in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So he's saying you can be deceived. Do what it says. It's there again in verse 26 of chapter 1. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And in the first verse of our passage, it's the same theme. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And what's the answer that James is expecting? No, it can't. So the question before us all this morning is, do I have a genuine faith? Do I have a faith that is worth something, precious, or is it worthless? Do I have a faith that will, according to this verse, save me? Save me on the day of judgment? That's what we're thinking about, and we need to find out. I've got three headings as we work our way through this passage. And the first one is this. A true and living Christian faith is not a matter of words, but deeds. Now, our NIV church Bibles really don't help us at this point. You notice between verses 13 and 14, there's a three-line gap, and they've slapped a in a a heading, 
faith and deeds, which gives the impression that James is now addressing a new topic. But he isn't. James is continuing to address this issue of favoritism, which we started to think about last week when we looked at the first half of chapter 2. Favoritism in which uh, some people are discriminated over and against others is tragically part and parcel of every society and culture. There are those with whom we identify and there are those we don't. And if we're not careful, we end up viewing people and treating people differently. In fact, it's so common and natural to us that half the time we don't even realize that we're doing it. But such favoritism and discrimination have no place in the kingdom of God. Yet in verse 15, James gives another example of the class consciousness where kind of Christian believers with resources see a, a brother or sister with nout and treat them with, them with indifference. They, make it, they may speak a good game, but they don't act on it. You see that verse 15? <coughs> Suppose um, uh, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? Now, there's nothing wrong about those uh, words. Actually, they're fine, commendable ones. The trouble is, that's all they are. Just words. And says James in verse 17, if our faith is just an empty expression of concern, but leads to no action, well then, it is dead. It's worthless. It's not, it's not real faith. I wonder if you've ever come across uh, uh, those armchair sportsmen. That might often find them in the, the, the clubhouse. Uh, they watch all the, the matches. Um, and they'll give you advice about your game. But they never play the sport themselves. It's possible actually to be like them in the Christian life. To speak the part, but not to be the real thing. Christians, following the example of Jesus, are to have a genuine concern for the vulnerable and disadvantaged. And that concern is to be even greater when the vulnerable and disadvantaged person is a fellow Christian brother or sister. And friends, wherever we live, we will always come across Christians in need. We always come across people who are vulnerable and disadvantaged. There are those who are refugees. There are those who have fallen on hard times. There are those who are going through a really difficult relationship breakup. There are those who find it difficult to relate to others to make friends. There are those who have recently moved into the area and are trying to find their feet. There's an awful lot of that in London. There are those from different cultures who have difficult adjustments to make. There are those who are not well physically. There are those who are not well emotionally. You may be suffering from depression. And the question is, what are we actively doing for such people? It's easy to smile 
We may even speak to them, but do we give them that precious commodity of our time and energy? Because it takes time to uh, befriend people. It takes time and energy to listen attentively. It takes time and energy and sometimes money to care. Now, of course, we can't do everything. <laughs> we cannot personally meet every need that we come across. We're not the Messiah. But we can and should be seeking to meet some of them. Our faith must go beyond pious platitudes and lead to action. And we're not to outsource our practical care and just leave it to others to deal with it. And friends, I, I think, actually, we at All Souls need to be very careful in this regard. Because of the wonderful ministries of Tamar, with its work amongst uh, many women who've been uh, sex uh, trafficked, and Aslan, with its work amongst those without uh, stable accommodation, it would be easy for some of us to think, well, uh, we would have to personally engage with those who are struggling disadvantage. Uh, we have this great ministry at all sorts. So we, we do that as a church. We leave it to others. But remember what verse 17 says. Faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then in verse 18, James imagines somebody uh, pitching in with a comment, oh, well, you have faith, I have deeds. In other words, God gives different gifts. To some people, God gives the ability to believe and understand Christian faith and truth, while others are very good at doing Christian things. Now, you see uh, how this person is dividing faith and deeds. Can I say the most common way it happens today is when somebody says of someone else, oh, he or she, oh, oh, they're a very good Christian. Although, actually, the person in question never had a personal trust in Jesus and never, you know, went to church. But because they were involved in the Rotary Club and did good works, they are thought of as a Christian. Now, of course, that is nonsense. You can't be a Christian without Christian beliefs and convictions, without a, a personal trust in Jesus. But just as you can't have Christian faith without Christian beliefs, nor can you have Christian faith without Christian behavior. And that is what James is saying here. There aren't two ways to heaven, the faith route and the works route. There's only one way to heaven. Faith that is evidenced by deeds, by action. And in saying this, James is saying exactly the same as the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul. See, some people claim that James is contradicting Paul, who stressed in his letters, such as in Romans and Galatians, that men and women are saved by faith and not by their religious works. But James is not contradicting that. He's not denying that we are saved by faith, that through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as he died on the cross. Nor is James arguing that works must be added to faith to make it real. 
You cannot make a, a false faith uh, real by adding works to it. No, what James is doing is defining for us what a real, living, saving faith looks like. And what he's saying is a real and living, saving faith will always have actions, deeds, works that go with it. And that's actually exactly what the Apostle Paul taught. So in Romans, Paul speaks of the obedience of faith. And in Titus, he speaks of the, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You can't have one without the other. Similarly, the Lord Jesus said that not everybody called him Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of his Father in heaven. And he immediately went to tell on the story about the wise and foolish builders. And who were the foolish builders? Well, they were the ones who listened to Jesus' words. In other words, they were at church on a Sunday. <laughs> but they didn't put them into practice. So a faith that doesn't lead to deeds it is no Christian faith at all. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So stand up in church and say the creed is not enough. Do you know as the devil could do that? Who are the best theologians in the early chapters of the Gospels? They are the demons. They understand exactly who Jesus is. They have an intellectual faith and belief that Jesus is the Son of God. But they don't have a saving faith. They're not trusting him. They're not willingly submitting to him. They don't have any love for him. Their faith doesn't cause them to love God and obey him. It just causes them to shudder with fear. So if demons are able to believe all the right things and stay in hell, it must be possible for somebody to, to have kind of orthodox uh, convictions, be able to kind of recite orthodox theology and yet not be a believer. True faith is never just a matter of the mind or words. It must be expressed, lived out, because it's from the heart. So what sort of actions does true faith produce? Well, James goes on to show us by giving us two examples of living faith from the Old Testament. And the first example he mentions is Abraham, verses 20 to 24, who demonstrates, this is my second heading, that a true and living Christian faith involves sacrificial obedience. Now, I hope that many of us uh, here are familiar with uh, the story of Abraham. God appeared to Abraham and made some great promises to him. Although Abraham was old and his wife was old and childless, God said that Abraham would be the father of a great nation and that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham, despite his circumstances, believed God. And verse 23 reminds us it was credited to, it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Abraham believed God's word to him, and because he believed, he was declared righteous in God's sight. That is when he was saved. But Abraham's faith didn't stop there. And in the following chapters of Genesis, we see Abraham's faith being expressed in action. And the most striking example of that is when God told him to offer his one and only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. It was a a terrible test. But Abraham continued to believe God, and the writer of the Hebrews tells us what went through Abraham's mind at that time. See, Abraham had this command from God to sacrifice Isaac, but he also had a promise from God that it would be through Isaac that his descendants would come. And so Abraham rightly reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Because he had the promise and he had the command. And so he carried out the command. And if you remember, at the last moment, God uh, intervened and told Abraham not to harm his son and provided a ram for the sacrifice. Abraham's faith was shown to be real by what he did. True faith shows itself in costly, sacrificial obedience. And the question is, is our faith the sort of faith that is prepared and marked by sacrificial obedience? I don't know what kind of costly action your faith will demand of you this year or possibly this week. It may be that there is some particular sin you're holding on to. You know it's wrong. You know that it displeases uh, God and our Lord Jesus. The moment I uh, mention this, you know exactly what it is. But up to now, you've not been prepared to give it up. You refuse to sacrifice it. Okay, well, what God is looking for is that obedience. Or it may be the giving of time or money. Uh, The diary and the wallet are two things that men in particular like to keep control of. Well, is our faith ever expressed by sacrifice in those areas? Let me say a little bit more about that, given that today is our, our Thanksgiving and gift day. It is very striking how Jesus spoke more often and at greater length of the importance of having a right attitude to money than he ever did about having a right attitude in matters of sexual intimacy. He spoke about both. Both are important. Both often involve sacrificial obedience. But Jesus, throughout his public ministry, talked more often about the dangers of money. Therefore, if we are Christians, our faith should be evidenced by how we handle and how we use our wealth. It should be evident in our bank statements. So can I ask you, is it? And if the answer is no, well, you need to do something about it this week. (laughs) 
But there are other areas in which sacrificial obedience may be, be required. It could be uh, good things that were in, uh, involved, like, like our, 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 our work or our, our hobby or some pastime, uh, which actually, we're aware, actually, that God has been putting his finger that actually perhaps we need to change attitude to some of those things. So that actually we, we're more focused on him and the gospel and developing our relationship with him. We need to make some adjustments to our diary, to our time. I always get worried when people continually fail to make church a number one regular priority. And the reason why I say it, because here at All Souls, we have lots of visitors. We have lots of people kind of pop in from time to time. I just want to say, you know, are you involved in, do you, you know, it's great if you are a visitor, because it's lovely, we love having visitors who are stuck into churches, but be, be very, it's not a good sign if you're not a committed member of a regular congregation. Now the Lord understands when he knows when we generally have difficulties in getting along to church. But where is the evidence of our faith if we don't make it a priority to meet with God's people? When Jesus said, "This is by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. How are we showing the evidence of our faith? We don't make it a priority to feed on his word. Likewise with prayer. Jesus specifically linked prayer with faith. If prayer, I mean, is prayer evident in our in our weekly schedule? Do we carve out time for it? We've got our prayer gathering here on Tuesday night when we meet as a church family to pray. Do we have Abraham's faith, the sort of faith that's willing to make sacrifices? Because that's what true faith is. And then finally, a, a true and living faith involves risky service. And this is exa- second example, just a, one verse, verse 25, let me read it. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? When the people of Israel entered the promised land for the first time under Joshua, Joshua sent uh, spies into Jericho. And Rahab, at great risk to her life, uh, hid those spies. She offered them hospitality. And, um, uh, and, and basically protected them from the kind of Jericho secret police. Now, why did she do that? Well, it is, again, because she believed that the God of Israel was the one true God. She was saved by faith. But like Abraham and all true believers, her faith was expressed in action. Now, Abraham was an obvious example for James to use to demonstrate what Christian faith is all about. Jesus used him as an example. So did the Apostle Paul. So did the writer of Hebrews. Rahab is less obvious, but James deliberately used her to make plain that a true and living faith 
isn't just for certain religious types. No, it's for all people, whatever their background. Abraham was, well, he was the founding father of Israel. Rahab, meanwhile, was a, a, a pagan and a prostitute. Friends, it, it doesn't matter who you are or however messy your background is, God wants you to believe in him, to trust in the Lord Jesus and show that you believe in trusting the Lord Jesus by the way that you're ordering your life, by the, the way that you live and the things that you do. But there is, I think, another reason why James added Rahab as an example. You see, if we had just had Abraham as our example of faith, we could make kind of great personal sacrifices regarding our devotion to God, uh, kind of get up early to read our Bible and pray, give money away, be disciplined in our attendance at church and, and the fellowship group. But the focus all time would be on our sort of relationship with God. And we could still neglect to practice the risky, sacrificial service of others that Rahab showed and which James is concerned about. Remember the context here. It's about this issue of favoritism. Because of her belief in God, Rahab welcomed these strangers and protected them. Friends, it is a tragedy how again and again people have come to churches and haven't stuck because there's been favoritism. They have found them cliquey and cold. And I suspect that we are all, all souls are not blameless in that regard. We really look out for those we already know. But how good are we at taking the risk of offering hospitality and welcoming into our homes those we don't know out of love for Christ? And can I just say, I realize it is hard. It is really hard to do this. Because this church has a, a large turnover of people, and it because of effort to go out and welcome and to get to know people, uh, we get just sometimes, oh, it's too much. I'm not bothered. But James is calling us, following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who denied himself and took up his cross. He's telling us like the Lord Jesus, follow his example, do the same thing that he did. And in this way, don't show favoritism. But instead, let's be those who look out uh, for those who are struggling, that we are those who welcome and love all out of love for Christ. And so he finishes off verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's no missing his thrust <laughs> of what he's been uh, saying to us, God's been saying to us this morning, is there? Now, friends, God wants you and I to be sure and confident of our salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God that comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our assurance, our confidence does not depend on our track record. It depends on Jesus's. That is where our confidence lies. All right? But God doesn't want us to have a false assurance. And that is why in his providence, he has caused this letter of James to be preserved for us. Do I have an empty faith? 
that is all mind and mouth? Or do I have a real and living saving faith in which mind and mouth flow out of a changed heart, which goes hand in hand with sacrificial obedience and with a risky service of others? Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God, we do thank you for the straight talking and the practical nature of this letter. Please help us to be radical in our obedience and service of others as Abraham and Rahab were. Please please particularly help us not to show favoritism in our dealings with one another. May the reality of our trust in Jesus be evidenced in this area and in others, like our attitude to money. For we ask this in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.